What is up, everybody? Hope you are doing well out there. You're listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Today, we're going to cover a couple interesting articles I saw over the last few hours. First one is going to be on the U.S. crude oil inventory builds. And then we're going to go over a story about from the U.K. about the digital pound. So I saw that this morning and I thought it would be a good kind of one to read through and see exactly what they're thinking. If that sounds like something you want to listen to and you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe. We talk about this stuff all the time. If you're watching on Twitter, make sure you're following Ansel Lindner. And on Telegram, guys, what's up? Uh, <laughs> my guys over on Telegram holding it down with good conversation. If you want to join the Telegram and get almost 24-7 macro and Bitcoin updates, uh, you can check out t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. Also, what you're seeing on the screen, if you're watching the video, is the website bitcoinandmarkets.com. Uh, go over there, sign up for the free weekly newsletter. I also have recently just added a new membership tier. It's called the Premium Market Pro. I'm taking pretty much all my TA, all my price discussion, my macro discussion where we talk about currencies and the Bitcoin chart and all that. And I'm going to be packaging that into a separate newsletter for people that want to subscribe to the Market Pro membership. For this first month to launch the initial tier, I'm giving a 50% discount. So if you go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50 forward slash pro 50, you'll get 50% off for the first month and and you can try it out, check it out, see if it's something you like. I think uh, my forecasting has been extremely accurate over the last uh, couple years in Bitcoin. And so I think it offers a lot of value. So check out that at bitcoinandmarkets.com. Okay, let's get into this crude oil story. Now, I pay attention a lot to crude. And if you are new to my content, you can go back a couple episodes to one that's titled Peak Oil Demand. And in there, I talk a lot about my theories on what's going on here with the oil market. But to sum it up as quickly as I can, I think we are we have either hit peak oil demand or we are about to hit it. And if you look out 10, 20 years in deglobalization, most places, their economies are going to shrink along with their populations and all this stuff. And so there's just not going to be as much demand for oil. And so over the next maybe generation or two, I think we are actually going to get cheaper and cheaper oil prices. Of course, there will be rallies within there and we could see $100 a barrel oil. I wouldn't be surprised with a, a rally at this time because if a recession is coming, most people are going to line up on a bearish oil side, you know, bearish side of oil, and you can't let them get free money like that. So the market might screw them by rallying to 90 or 100 before it rolls back over. And eventually, probably in the next two years, we're going to see $50 a barrel oil. Um, but anyway, let's read through this story. Uh, U.S. crude oil inventories up 2.4 million, rising seventh week in a row to new 20-month high. And this is from investing.com. I did link it in Telegram. If you go to the oil story from earlier today or the oil chart, the Cushing inventory chart, and you click into the comments, I linked to these two stories that I'm going to be kind of switching back and forth between. So, okay, let's get into this. U.S. crude stockpiles rose last week in line with expectations and for the seventh straight week, reaching their highest in 20 months. 
U.S. crude inventories rose by 2.4 million barrels during the week ended February 1. The Energy Information Administration, or EIA, said in its weekly petroleum status report, industry analysts tracked by investing.com, which is where I'm reading this off of, uh, forecast a build of 2.457 million barrels on average for the last week compared to 4.1 million barrel barrels uh, during the previous week. The EIA has reported a total crude build of nearly 37 million barrels over the past seven weeks. That's quite a bit. The U.S., what the U.S. uses, um, I think it's like at the peak, I think it was 20 million barrels a day in equivalent. But I don't think that's all crude. I think we use about 15 million barrels or 14 million barrels of crude. So uh, that's just, a, you know, the, the crude stockpiles have risen 37 million. So that's like two and a half days of oil consumption in the United States. But hey, that's something, right? It's not declining. All right. At current standing, these stockpiles are at their highest since June of 2021, said the EIA. And that is before all of this SPR release and stuff. Crude stockpiles are going up, which is amazing to me. I mean, obviously, the the SPR is draining. And to quickly rehash my thinking on that is strategic petroleum reserve was for a different era. You know, now we are pretty much energy independent or could be in very short amount of time, like a year or two, we could get rid of a lot of the red tape and we could be energy independent. So the strategic petroleum reserve doesn't mean what it did in 1980 in the Cold War. A lot of people look at that and they say, oh, a shrinking strategic petroleum reserve is kind of like a, a mark against the administration or a mark against the government that they're mismanaging the economy. Well, first off, we shouldn't want them to manage the economy. The SPR, by its nature, is interference in the economy. We should want it at zero. We should want the strategic petroleum reserve to be private, not public. But I... That's what I would say about that. Anyway, um, crude output itself rose 100,000 barrels per day to reach 12.3 million barrels per day, or the highest since April of 2020, when the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic left the production sky high versus rock bottom demand. And we are going closer to rock bottom demand. As the economy slows, oil demand will fall, obviously. So rock bottom demand... I mean, we're we're getting there. Crude exports, meanwhile, tumbled 17% on the week to 2.9 million barrels from 3.5 million barrels per day the week prior. But yeah, so crude exports uh, crude exports dropped while production rose, stockpiles rose, yet somehow CPI is going to remain elevated. You know, one reason why we do talk about crude so much is it's a gauge for growth, but it's also a gauge for upcoming CPI. It's also a gauge for kind of longer term trends. Maybe we're going to change the capital structure of the United States, go back towards a manufacturing base, which I think we probably will tend that way over the next few years. We already are. Yeah, all of these things added together, you can get an idea by looking at crude. It's just like Hayek always said, or I guess the Austrians always said this, that prices convey information, right? But it's information of a complex system. 
So all those different things that I just said, all, all those things and way more go into making the price. But we can look at the price with some fundamental analysis, with some understanding of the economy, and with some understanding of history and some understanding of um, geography and geopolitics. And then we can look back at the price and be like, well, what's the price telling us? Well, the price is telling us that demand is falling and that production is going up. <laughs> so that's that's uh, what I'd say about that. Okay, let's continue about gasoline. On the gasoline inventory front, the EIA reported a build of 5 million barrels versus the forecast 1.2 million. Uh, gasoline inventories have gone up by almost 16 million barrels since 2023 began. So just in the last month. Wow. Automotive fuel gasoline is the number one U.S. fuel product. Distillate stockpiles rose by almost 3 million barrels versus the expected barely any, you know, tiny 0.09 million barrels. So 90, what is that? 90,000 barrel rise, but it actually rose by almost 3 million. In the previous week, the distillate build stood at 2.3. Until recently, distillates, which are refined into heating oil, diesel for trucks, buses, trains, and ships, and jet uh, fuel for jets, were the strongest component of the U.S. petroleum complex in terms of demand. Okay, very interesting. And I've had some other charts here I wanted to look at. So let me share this tab. This is a double T WTI write-up for Zero Hedge, and they have some interesting charts. So the first one, let me make sure this is coming up clearly. All right, so this is the first one, and it's showing the stockpile changes or the inventory changes uh, for these different things of crude. You can see slightly green, and it is the seventh green candle in a row. Cushing, that's Cushing, Oklahoma. That's where you know a lot of the storage happens. And futures trading, like when you buy uh, oil futures and you take delivery of it, you take delivering in Cushing, Oklahoma. So that, like, that's the big outlet or whatever you call it. So you can see it's it's rising, but the rises in Cushing are slowing down. Um, but they were pretty large, uh, especially when you compare them to the last year or so. Gasoline is accelerating its inventory builds and distillates as well. So. Very interesting chart there. Let's go back to this one that this one, I was just blown away by this. So this again is Cushing, Oklahoma inventory. And you can see all of these are different years. All these lines are different years and the, like how inventory changed during that year. And look at 2023. It's the fastest inventory build so far in a year, like the fastest, the fastest January or whatever, ever for Cushing, Oklahoma. And I don't know how many years back this goes, but Cushing's been around for 100 years, more than 100 years. I don't know, something like that. Um, so this is a pretty significant event. The Cushing, Oklahoma inventory is rising at its fastest pace ever. Anyway, that, I thought that was very interesting. Let's go on to our next story. And this one comes way of Bloomberg Canada. And the headline is UK steps up planning for digital pound currency backed by the Bank of England. 
And I did talk about this recently or CBDCs recently. I don't know if it was a very, like the most recent episode where we went through Jim Rickards and his, the digital dollar project and how he's like, it's coming. Biden bucks are coming next, next month, guys. Be terrified. Buy gold. <laughs> That's uh, Jim Rickards. We, we step through all this stuff and, you know, it's the same story, a uh, different year for CBDCs. But let's see what the Bank of England has to tell us here. The Bank of England and the UK Treasury stepped up work on creating a digital currency to sit alongside physical banknotes and sought to allay concerns that the work could threaten the stability of banks. Officials at the two institutions said a central bank digital currency, which has been unofficially dubbed Britcoin, haha, very funny, um, could present significant opportunities for UK consumers and businesses after its rollout as early as the second half of this decade. <laughs> when I first read through this, I was like, second half of this decade? <laughs> I thought they were going to say second half of the year. You know, Jim Rickards told us it's next month is coming the digital dollars. Biden bucks are coming next month, guys. Uh, but th this was funny. By the second half of this decade, I mean, why? Why would it take so long? Uh, at least they're somewhat realistic about how long it's going to take on this. They're getting more and more realistic. I think it's dawning on them a little bit that, you know, they've made almost zero progress in, in four or five years. Next four or five years, they're going to make maybe a little bit more. Who knows? Probably not. So, uh, yeah, at least they're, the realistic timeline is starting to dawn on them. And they're talking in decades and not in years. Okay, let's continue. The moves are part of an effort by central banks around the world to adapt to new forms of payment that work more quickly and smoothly in online transactions. It also is aimed at keeping the government involved in supplying money as consumers shift to card payments backed by companies and not the government. And they'll go in a little bit. They'll explain that a little bit more. Uh, I'm not going to go through everything that they have wrong here. Of course, most of this is silly, but you know, let's just read it and get what we can out of it. So what they're thinking, you know, Okay, quote, while cash is here to stay, a digital pound issued and backed by the Bank of England could be a new way to pay that's trusted, accessible, and easy to use, Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt said. The remarks brush aside criticisms of the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee, which said CBDC is a, quote, solution in search of a problem, end quote, and could lead to further financial exclusion for vulnerable house households who depend on physical cash. That, that's interesting. You know, we don't hear about these contrarian voices or the, the counter opinions. Most of the things we read about CBDCs are about how much adoption they're getting, how many pilot programs there are, you know, how people are so excited about this. This could revolutionize central banking and all this stuff. And we don't really hear a lot about the contrary side, which there are a lot. Okay. There's a lot of these people that know exactly what a CBDC is and understand it as they should, like realistically. I continually talk about Randall Quarles of the Fed. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had a speech where he detailed out intricate detail, this exact thing, a solution in search of a problem. Like why do there, there's no, no need for a central bank digital currency. And here, this guy in the House of Lords 
is saying the exact same thing. All right. In a consultation paper due to be published Tuesday, the BOE and the Treasury will call for opinions and evidence on whether they should build what has officially been termed a digital pound. They haven't made a decision on whether to move forward with the project, but the work is building the case for action. All right. So I thought this Jim Rickers told us that these CBDCs are here and uh, not just Jim Rickers, but all sorts of people. This is a very common idea or a very common belief by people out there that the CBDCs are coming and they're coming soon. Well, this says that they haven't even decided and there's supposed to be a consultation paper published on Tuesday that will call for opinions and evidence. I mean, the more you learn, the more you read about this, the further away these CBDCs are. And CK and I on FedWatch, we've been talking for two years now saying that these things are never going to ship. Anyway, let's continue reading. A separate working paper will also attempt to assuage worries that the proposed CBDC could pose a financial or risk to financial stability by sucking money out of the banking system. The Bank of England said holders will not be able to earn interest on their digital coins, and there will be a limit on how many they can initially buy. I think they're worried about the wrong problem. (laughs) They're worried about people buying too many, but uh, it's actually going to be the opposite. People aren't going to want this. This isn't these CBDCs are not a replacement for digital currency, like in in your bank. CBDCs are a replacement for cash. You know, they are direct money from the central bank. You'll have an account at the central bank. Regular currency, not Bitcoin, but you know, regular government currency is created in the process of making a loan. So if you cut out the banks that print the money, you're not going to print any money. You're actually changing the form of the money. Uh, They're going to run it. Well, this next paragraph, that measure is aimed at preventing a mass rush of consumers pulling their money out of traditional banks and buying Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin, if it launches, they're going to have the opposite problem. No one's going to want this. Look at the e-Naira down in Nigeria. Nobody wants it. Look at the CBDC in China. Nobody wants it. (laughs) They're going to put all these measures in to stop people from buying too much, but that's actually reinforces their idea why they don't want to even buy any. All right. Um, The central bank and treasury are likely to face further questions on what exactly would be the point of a digital pound. As for now, at least, consumers would see little difference to just using existing online payment system. Though a CBDC would be based on blockchain technology used by speculative cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, it would be issued by the Bank of England and would be backed by sterling, becoming interchangeable with cash and bank deposits. Well, what backs sterling, guys? (laughs) Nothing. It's credit. It's credit-based money. It's just the good faith of people out there that the debts owed, you know, every sterling today is a sterling of debt. Every dollar is a dollar of debt. It's backed by nothing except the debt. But uh, backed by the Bank of England, backed by sterling, it does, it's silly. Quote, dig, the, good Lord, quote, a digital pound would provide a new way to pay, help businesses maintain trust in money, and better protect, protect financial stability, 
BOE Governor Andrew Bailey said. However, quote, however, there are a number of implications which our technical work will need to carefully consider. This consultation and the further work the bank will do, uh, will now do, will be the foundation for what would be a profound decision for the country on the way we use money, end quote. Many experts have yet to be convinced of the value of a CBDC. That's the understatement of the year. Former BOE Governor Lord Mervyn King has called the Britcoin project a, quote, solution without a problem, end quote. Lawmakers on the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee found in a report last year that there was no convincing case, quote, no convincing case, end quote, for launching a CBDC in the UK. Bank and Treasury officials are focused on the long term when looking at the case for a CBDC Imagining a world where cash is used less. Remember, these are replacements for cash. So if cash is used less, whatever. Um, and big tech firms such as Amazon and Google are issuing their own stable coins to facilitate quick and smooth online payments. Okay, so remember the Facebook thing, the Facebook coin? What was it called now? Libra? They were coming out with their own stable coin, and that really kicked off all of these different central banks to look at CBDCs and think CBDCs were a good idea. I mean, if Facebook was doing it, they should do it. I don't know why they don't mention Facebook here, but it's they concentrate on Amazon and Google. I mean, I would put Apple in there too, right? Apple and Facebook, but no, uh, that's they're, they're already behind the eight ball on this because it's pretty much been decided as far as I can remember that that's illegal for Facebook to do. And Facebook is not doing it. I, I think they've totally scrapped that project. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're still tinkering around with some ideas, but as far as I know, these companies are not looking at doing this. They would, they are looking at integrating things like tether and things like Bitcoin, but they're not looking anymore at launching their own centralized stable coin, you know, like Google coin uh, or Google tether. Amazon Tether. I don't, I don't think that's that's happening. A CBDC would be designed as an alternative to these private sector stable coins, which investors can hold in the confidence that they are backed by the Bank of England and by offering an open and transparent alternative to private stable coins. It is understood that the Treasury hopes to discourage opacity in other digital currencies. Critics are also concerned that the introduction of a digital coin would lead to the phasing out of physical notes and coins, which would disproportionately affect older, lower income and vulnerable households who tend to use cash more. A decision on whether to push ahead with Britcoin will likely be made around the middle of the decade. Middle of the decade. Wow. If the project does proceed, the CBDC would launch around 2030. Neither the Treasury nor the Bank of England has yet produced a forecast of what it might cost to build Bitcoin, but it is likely to be a substantial sum. Guys, they're so far away from this. I can't believe people still talk like think the CBDCs are a legitimate thing that's happening. Prime Minister Sunak set up a task force during his time as chancellor to explore the opportunities prevented, presented by a digital pound and has spoken about his desire to make the UK a leading hub for cryptocurrencies and digital payments. Oh, man. 
Labor's shadow city minister, Sadiq, said the CBDC was a, quote, welcome contrast to the conservative government's promotion of the crypto wild west, which has put millions of people's savings at risk. It's also made people lots of money. She added that should the labor should labor win a majority in the next general election due to be held January of 25, it, quote, would be serious about attracting fintech companies to the UK by safely harnessing the potential of new technologies and our ambition to make Britain the homegrown startup hub of the world, end quote. I mean, they're, by introducing a CBDC, they preclude themselves from being that startup hub. Nobody is going to want Panopticon coin. Okay, we should just start calling these CBDCs Panopticon coin. Nobody's going to want it. You're going to chase investment away from your country. You're going to chase startups away from your country. It's going to be exactly the opposite of what they think here. The point of a digital pound. The value of the CBDC would be directly linked to sterling, unlike Bitcoin, whose value moves around with demand. Well, the value of sterling moves around with demand too there, Bubba. Rather than having an open bank account, a consu- to open a bank account, a consumer would have a digital wallet account on their smartphone or computer, and these could be operated by a variety of firms. Because the wallet providers would effectively act as a conduit between the Bank of England and the customers and would not be able to hold the digital coins or lend them out like a traditional bank, officials are hoping that they would focus on providing innovative customer service. Right. Bitcoin holders would also choose how much of their personal data they wanted to make available to other firms under the bank and treasury's plans potentially allowing them to access other services tailored to their spending habits. And this is one thing I've talked about here recently as well, that CBDCs cannot be private from the government, but the government will promise privacy from other third parties. Again, chasing tech startups away. You know, like if you are centrally planning this, I mean, I like privacy. I wish people would have pure privacy out there, but Data is something that can be used to build good products, you know, and there is some things that people might want to share their data for. And if there's regulations around this, it just hampers free market innovation around data and things like that. So anyway, let's continue. While the Treasury insisted that the CBDC would be, quote, subject to rigorous standards of privacy and data prevention, end quote, and neither the government nor the bank would have access to a person's data it would not be anonymous. So uh, co- consumers would still have to go through know your customer checks when opening a digital wallet and law enforcement agencies could still request customers information to prevent crime in the same way they can with your bank accounts. So they'll say one thing about privacy and it's the exact opposite. They don't understand that people want privacy. I mean, I guess they do understand it, but they don't understand that they can't give people what they want. They literally cannot create what they're promising here. And whatever they deliver for a CBDC is not going to be demand. There is going to be no demand for it. Again, look at the CBDC project so far. Utter failures. 
And now they're talking about this is going to take out to 2030. They're having all these consultation papers and working groups and all of this just to try to figure out if they want to build it, if they can build it, if there's some need for it. All the while people are out there already preaching that this is a solution without a problem. And if there was a problem, we have Bitcoin. All right, guys, that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Check out the new tier. Check out the free newsletter and all that stuff. And I will see you guys on the next one. Bye.